It's a prayer to God. It's a blessing. A benediction very often in the Bible takes the form of you're talking to the people but you're blessing them as you talk to them in God's name. So your desire is to God. Your prayer in your heart is to God. But you are giving the blessing to the people. And so it says here, Now the God of peace make you perfect. So it's addressed to the people, but it's a desire and hearty prayer inside to God. It's not that the preacher can bless you. It's not that the preacher can make you perfect, but he desires it. And his desire and prayer is to God. And he tells you his prayer to God by giving you the blessing. That's what the apostles did. That's what ministers do. It's not enough that you are exhorted. It's not enough that you are preached to. You need to be prayed for as well. You don't only need the word of God proclaimed to you, but you need the prayers to God over you. And that's what benedictions teach us and inform us about. And the apostles, they always did this in their writings. As you study their writings, the epistles, they taught, they exhorted in them, but they also prayed in them, and throughout them there are these different prayers interspersed. I repeat, you need prayed for, as well as preached to. And that is why we frequently ask a blessing upon the word, before it, or after it, or both. The apostles wanted the people to know that we pray for you too, and don't just write to you. I don't just say, let us, and give the exhortation, as very often Paul did, but he's saying, I'm praying that God will work in you. Make you perfect, mature you, bless you, help you. You know, it's a great thing to be prayed for. A great thing. Don't despise it. Don't think it's unimportant. Don't think that you wouldn't miss much if you weren't being prayed for. It's very important. It's vital. We should count it a wonderful thing. A very needful thing to be counted in the prayers of God's people. Paul himself has asked for prayer. We saw that. Pray for us, he says. And now he says his prayer for them. What we owe to the prayers of others, we can never really know. But be assured, we owe very much. We're debtors to those who have prayed for us and to those who still continue to pray for us. And we should pray for one another. I say for one another, not against. We don't pray against one another, but for one another. Undoubtedly some things, sometimes, and some people have to be prayed against, We are to pray against the works of darkness and therefore the workers of darkness we must pray against at times too. You remember good and godly David? 
He didn't hesitate to do so on very oppressive occasions. Destroy thou them, O God, he said. Let them fall by their own counsels and cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against thee. And many other psalms might be quoted of a similar nature. There are such things as prayers against the wicked. Those of us, however, who have trusted God and tasted of his grace will know that there will be rare times that we pray like that. And usually very oppressive and persecuting times in which we may find ourselves. But in the main and in the meantime, we should, as our Lord say, pray for them that persecute us and despitefully use us and say all manner of evil things against us. Pray for them, Jesus said, not against them. But certainly in the church, we pray for one another and never against. The apostle, I don't think, prayed against believers. Even poor churches, and he had to write to some poor churches. In fact, even the Hebrews seemed to frustrate him at times. But he never prays against them. He loved them and he prayed for them. Philip Henry, the old Puritan, the father of Matthew Henry, the commentator, he said, there are three things I would not like against me. He said, my conscience, God's word, are the prayers of the saints. I wouldn't like them against me. So let us have a heart. And where there is imperfection, or where there is frustration among us, let us say, Lord, make them perfect. Lord, help them. Lord, make them better. Sanctify them. Let's be positive. Let's pray for one another. Even as our great intercessor prays, my Father, sanctify them through thy truth. So he intercedes for us. And we should imitate him and pray for the sanctification and the perfection of each of us. You remember the ascension. That's why we read Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. As he was leaving them, he, he raised his hands letting them know he was blessing them. And it says he blessed them, even as he was taken from them, he blessed them and he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. That's how he left us. And he still continues that same stance in glory. The lifting up of the hands and the intercession and his holy desire and his benediction upon his flock. Upon us tonight. The Lord has his hands raised in his benediction upon us tonight. He prays for us. Let us therefore imitate him and be like him. Pray for one another. Now sometimes these prayers are benedictions. Sometimes they're interspersed within the teaching. At other times, at the end of the epistles, these benedictions. The apostles closed their letters, their teaching, their edification with a prayer. Just as ministers close the meetings with the benediction. Sometimes it took the form of a blessing. 
or a benediction upon the saints, as I said. Peace be with you, Peter says, through Jesus Christ. Paul said, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And also sometimes the benedictions are strongly Trinitarian. Such as the one to the Corinthians, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Sometimes the benediction took the form not only of a blessing upon the people, but also the form of a doxology, glorifying God and praising God, lifting up the hands to magnify God as well as to bless the people. And sometimes you find both in benedictions. And that's the way it is here in Hebrews. It says, make you perfect in every good work through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever. Amen. So both are here. The prayer, the blessing upon the people, and the magnification and the exaltation of God. That's how we pray. Pray for the blessing on the people, and pray for the glory of God. What more is there? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever is the chief end of men. And to bless God and to enjoy him and his blessing upon us is the substance of what life ought to be about. So these benedictions show that and declare that. And every sermon should lead to that. Every sermon should lead to this end where you bless the people and where you glorify God. And every sermon should make you go out feeling blessed and wanting to bless others and wanting to glorify God. The edifying of the sheep and the exaltation of the Savior. That's what we see in this benediction. And at the end of it all, we should be able to say, Amen. Let it be. May it be so. Even as the apostle says here at the end. Amen. Now we must carefully attend to how Paul forms this benediction. Because he does it in a most interesting way. It's a delight to hear it. And it's a delight to read it. And its structure is edifying and beneficial to us just to consider that. It's divided into two parts. There's first of all the prayer itself, verse 21. Make you perfect in every good work to do as well. Working in you that which is well pleasing. In the sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. There's the prayer. But there's also the preface to the prayer. Which is nearly as long as the prayer itself. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. That great shepherd of the sheep. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant. That, that's the preface. And then the prayer. It's a very long preface, isn't it? He doesn't just say, God, one word. God, make you perfect. No, he, he gives phrases and sentences. There are actually five of them. Five phrases. And then he gets down to the prayer. And this preface is most edifying. And very important. And it's a literary work of art, actually. These five expressions are arranged in a very careful manner. The God of peace, that brought again from the dead, 
that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, our Lord Jesus. Now, our translators haven't put our Lord Jesus at the end, but in the Greek, it's at the end. Carefully arranged in these five phrases. The God of peace and our Lord Jesus Christ that encloses them, brackets them. The second phrase and the fourth phrase that brought again from the dead through the blood of the everlasting covenant, they complement each other. Because he's brought from the dead through the blood of the everlasting covenant. And then in the middle, in the very center, at the heart, that great shepherd of the sheep. That's the center. And Paul has carefully arranged this word to do that. So the inner statement at the heart is the most important statement of all. That great shepherd of the sheep. And that's what we're going to think about tonight. The heart. The center. In the middle. That great shepherd of the sheep. That's the focus. And there are three things that that I would like to say about that. First of all, who he is. That great shepherd of the sheep. Who is he? Well, we know who he is because Paul identifies him and he describes him, our Lord Jesus. That's the great shepherd of the sheep. He doesn't just say Jesus now. We we saw how sometimes Paul just says Jesus. We saw why he just uses the name Jesus on occasions. Whenever he's crucified outside the gate, it's Jesus who's crucified outside the gate. But he's not talking about just the Jesus who's crucified outside the gate. He's talking about the Jesus now who is in glory, who's been raised from the dead, who has all power given unto him. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. That great shepherd of the sheep. He's talking about him. Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified You see, he's a crucified Jesus, but God has made him Lord and Christ. And Paul now says, that great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is back in glory in his humanity. There appearing in his humanity, possessing all the power of God and manifesting it in the midst of the angels, visibly appearing. And there's no blessing, there's no benediction, there's no being made perfect and being sanctified and being made holy, and there's no operation of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and life without Jesus Christ our Lord. And without him being in the place of power and glory. As he is. And so he is Christ and Lord. And you'll never be made perfect without him and apart from him. And of course he has to be ours. Do you notice how the apostle says it? He doesn't just say the Lord Jesus. He says our Lord Jesus. Our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, that 
through the blood of the everlasting covenant has been raised. May the God that raised him make you perfect through that Jesus Christ. So he has to be ours to have this benediction. He has to be ours to possess this divine peace that God has for us. We only have it if we have our Lord Jesus Christ. He has to be yours. You have to possess him and own him. Now it struck me as I was looking at a lot of these benedictions that the apostles used. It struck me that in them nearly all. He is always saying our Lord Jesus Christ. Or our Father. Or our God. He always especially brings in the possessive pronoun on those occasions. It's very noticeable. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So the benedictions always seem to be put in that way. The grace of our. We are always reminding ourselves that we get this blessing and we assuredly and certainly get this blessing because he's ours. There's nothing more important in the whole world than to have the Lord as your own, as your Savior, as your Lord, to own him, to possess him, and be possessed by him. If he's ours, if we believe on him, if we receive him, we have all the promises and the blessings of God because they're all yea and amen in him. They're certain. And don't you believe in him? Aren't you a believer tonight? Don't you come to God through him always? Don't you know that you're a sinner and you seek forgiveness through Christ whom you trust and believe in? Then he's yours. He's yours. And he's been given to you and you are an inheritor of all the benedictions of God. So it's a wonderful thing to have Christ. And to you who are unconverted, there is no reason why he cannot be yours too. For he certainly invites you. He certainly calls you to come. He certainly seeks the sinner. And he has preached to you. And he's offered to you. And presented to you. And he himself draws you by his word. So there's no reason why you can't come and possess him as well. And we would exhort all men to receive Christ and to be able to say in the church, Our, He's ours, our Lord Jesus Christ. Who He is, our Lord Jesus Christ, this great shepherd of the sheep. Then, secondly, what is He? What is He especially to His people? We've seen who He is, He's the person of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He's identified in those names. There's no mistaking who he is. But what is he? We who own him and possess him and belong to him. As he intercedes for us in the glory. What is he to us? And what interest does he have in us? He is the great shepherd of his people. That great shepherd of the sheep. As Paul puts it. How good... He is then to his people. 
because he is to his people that great shepherd. Aren't those lovely words? Not just, ah, great shepherd, but that, that great shepherd. Unique, special, precious, solitary, him alone, that great shepherd, as if there is no one else. Now, we know this image well, if we know the scriptures at all, and we know that the Bible sets forth the image of shepherd sheep very often throughout its pages. And that's what Christ is to his people. He, he is shepherd, they are sheep. And of course, by saying that great shepherd, I think he's implying and saying that there are under shepherds, and indeed there are. There are those who pastor the sheep. There are under shepherds, pastors, and that's clear in Scripture. The elders are that. You remember how Paul said, Take heed to yourselves, you elders, to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers, that you feed the flock of God which he's purchased with his blood. So there are these under shepherds who, who feed the flock, who, who minister to the flock. God said to Jeremiah and to the people of God in his day, he said, I will give you pastors according to mine heart. And they'll feed you with knowledge and understanding, not with entertainment, not with jokes and all this and that and the other, not as great performers, but with what is essential for your soul to feed you with knowledge and understanding. That's the kind of pastors I give to you, God says. And they'll do that. They're shepherds. They're under-shepherds. But the sheep are not theirs. The sheep are Christ's. And they're only under shepherds under Christ to Christ's sheep. And whenever the Lord says to the under shepherds, he doesn't say, go and feed your sheep. He says, feed my sheep. Didn't he say that to Peter? Peter denied him three times. Peter thought, that's it, I'm finished. There's nothing for me now. And the Lord Jesus come to him and he put his arms around him and he says, Peter, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs too. They're the Lord's. The Lord's sheep. So there are all these under shepherds. But that great shepherd is only one. And that's Jesus Christ. The great shepherd of the sheep. And the Bible calls him the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd, he says. The Bible also calls him the chief shepherd. These phrases remind us that there are other shepherds not so good, certainly not chief, and not great either. And they're not their sheep, they're Christ's. And so that's what Paul's implying here when he says that. But I also think especially what he is saying is Psalm 23. He's writing to the Hebrews, they know the scriptures, they sing the Psalms. Psalm 23 is well known. The Lord is my shepherd. And Paul is kind of saying to them now, you know who I'm talking about? That. That great shepherd there. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. And we don't want. He provides all for us. And he's with us to the end. This is him. This is him. That great shepherd. So that's what Paul in actual fact is saying. He's saying he's Jehovah our shepherd. 
He's a shepherd of greatness. And of his greatness, who is able to declare it? None of us. Who could ever describe the greatness of Jesus as a shepherd? The Bible says, The Lord is great and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. And the same can be said about this greatness of Christ as his shepherd. It's an unsearchable greatness. A shepherd of such greatness that it can't even be described. But the heart of it is this, and I speak to you in the words of Christ himself, because he told us something of his greatness as a shepherd. And he is, first of all, a great shepherd in caring for his sheep and in finding them. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I've come for them. I've come to find them. I've come to give them the life. I've come to seek them out. He's that great shepherd of, of the sheep who did that. He had to become man. He had to take flesh. He is himself almighty God. He had to condescend and take to himself. First of all, it was just a few cells in the womb of Mary. And then his humanity grew and grew till he'd come a little baby. And then a man who died on the cross, taking to himself flesh. A great shepherd that did that. Whoever did that? Whoever loved us so much? I'm come to find them, to redeem them, to bring them the life that they might not perish, that they may have the life abundant. That great shepherd. And then he's also a great shepherd in his dying for them. He says, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. And so he lays down his life for us. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. That's a great shepherd. He didn't just die, but he died the agonizing death of the cross. As terrible as that was to his humanity, and that was accompanied with sufferings that are to us utterly mysterious. That great shepherd, that suffered thus. He's a great shepherd because of his sufferings. And then he's a great shepherd because he, he knows his sheep, he loves his sheep, he knows them all. He says, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep. He calls them all by name and he has an innumerable host of them. They can't be numbered. The creatures can't number them. I don't even suspect even the angels could number the number of God's sheep. But Jesus knows them all, all by name, all personally. And he knows them in a loving way. Not just, you know, a name to tick off. No, when it says, I know my sheep, he's saying, I, I love them. I know them. I take an interest in them. I care for them. That great shepherd who knows us and loves us. I mean, what are we, each one of us? We're just a speck in the human race. And yet he knows every one of us that are his. That great shepherd. His own words. 
And then he works with us all equally the same. And he leaves none out. And he gives everyone his blessing and his benediction and his salvation. And this peace of God from God his Father. And this forgiveness of sins is for them all. And none are left out. And none are missed amongst his flock. Do you remember he said to his people, he says, other sheep I have. There's not just you. Other sheep I have, which are not in this fold as, as yet, I must bring them too. He's speaking of the Gentiles. He's speaking as us. Imagine telling Peter and James and John about us. Do you see them, Peter? Those, those sheep in Guilford? That flock in that obscure place. I must bring them to you. I don't miss any. I don't leave any out. Oh that great shepherd. Doesn't pass by one of us. Doesn't forget one of us. Remembers us all. I'll bring them in also. They'll hear my voice too. Peter and James and John. As you did. As clearly as you did. They'll hear it too. And they'll come into the one fold. And there'll just be one shepherd. That's me, Jesus says. And there'll just be one fold. And they'll all be in it together. And not one will be lost. All eternally kept. All eternally preserved. I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall any pluck them out of my hand. Not one. I won't lose one. That great shepherd. Who keeps his people. This is what Paul means when he says that, that great shepherd, unspeakably great. I'll just give you a few thoughts from the words of Christ himself, where he declares his own greatness as that shepherd. But then the third thing, where is he? We've seen who he is, our Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen what he is, that great shepherd of the sheep. We're also informed about his present condition, where he is. I mean, he is somewhere, isn't he? But let me tell you the place he's not in. He's not in the place of the dead. Because it says here, the God of peace that brought again from the dead through the blood of the everlasting covenant that great shepherd of the sheep. He's not in the place of the dead. He's not in Hades. He's not disembodied and decomposing and deceased and in the grave as other men are. He's not among the dead as other men are. He is in the new. He is in the eternal. He is in the glory. Raised from among the dead, the first begotten from the dead, and all his sheep he's going to bring with him when he comes again. But he's already there. The forerunner before us. We could have no comfort if that was not so. No God of peace should be ours if that were so that he was still in the grave. But he has been brought from the dead and is in a place beyond our space-time. And he's coming back again and he's going to bring us into the very sea. This word again, brought again from the dead, that doesn't mean that he's been resurrected two times, again and again. No, Paul is just emphasizing 
the certainty of his resurrection. He died, but he was raised again. It's used in that sense. He certainly was taken up from among the dead. That's what it means there when it says, from among the dead, raised up. It's a taking up from among the dead. In other words, you're seeing two things. You're seeing what he's taken up from among, that is all the dead, and what he is taken up into, the glory. All the glory. The glory to which he wants to bring us. And why he become man, and why he went among the dead. Not just that he might go to glory, because he already had the glory, but that he might go to glory, bringing us with him. That great shepherd of the sheep, who brings his flock with him. And so Peter says that when that chief shepherd shall appear again, we shall be with him and like him. So he's alive. That's what I'm saying. We, we saw him outside the gate as we go out to him bearing the reproach. But that's all behind him. And now he's raised from the dead. And his present state is he's alive. And he's in the glory. Whatever that is. And I can't comprehend that. But there's just a short portal between our time world to the glory. And he's watching us. And he hears us. And he sees us. And he cares for us. And he ministers to us. And he gives us his Holy Spirit. And he blesses us. He's alive. He ever lives. Interceding for us. God brought him up. That's what it says here. The God of peace that we looked at this morning. He brought him up. The everlasting covenant. Brought him up. The blood that was shed that ratified that everlasting covenant brought him up. Brought up through the blood. Brought up through the covenant. Brought up by the power of the God of peace. And so he's alive, a living shepherd at God's right hand. Do you remember how we have said so often that this book is an exposition of Psalm 110? That's basically what it is. That's the text he's had before him. The right hand of God, the majesty and high, Melchizedek, the great high priest, after the order of Melchizedek, is just an exposition of Psalm 110. That great shepherd of the sheep at the right hand of God. We can go to him. We can trust in him. We can rest in him. He is accessible to us by prayer and faith so trust him come to him that great shepherd believe in him and be among his sheep